The following audio is from a sermon series called ReChurch, Rediscovering the Church. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Hear the word of the Lord from 1 Corinthians 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the... God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again to the head head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another." If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. Welcome to Sacred City. My name is Justin. If you are just joining us, I'm the pastor around these parts. Uh, I got a couple really quick announcements. Nursing moms, uh, you have asked and we have answered. We've got a, you can stay in the room if you want. You can go up in the balcony if you want. But we also have, if you go right down the stairs, there's a little new foyer area downstairs that we've got a speaker down there. It's got its own volume control. uh, So you can crank me up or turn me down. It's up to you when you're down there. Uh, And then next Sunday, we're going to be presenting our first ever Sacred City members before you. So be here. It's going to be a pretty exciting time. And then also next Sunday afternoon from 3 to 5, we're having a Fight Club seminar. Okay? Bring your gloves. Uh, Now, Fight Club is basically our our life-on-life discipleship groups. There are three or four men, three or four women. If you want to be a part of a fight club or you are a part of a fight club, we have a training next Sunday from 3 to 5 at the center. So we invite you to come on out to that and get trained up in the ways that you should go. Let me go ahead and pray and we're going to jump in this morning. Father, thank you for redemption. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for being living. Thank you for being active. Thank you for being present. Thank you for saving. Thank you for redeeming. Thank you for healing and all the work that you're doing in our world, in our city, in our church, amongst us. Thank you for Lindy's redemption story. You are a powerful God who is mighty to save and you are at work in the here and now. Thank you for your word that it is inerrant, that it, does, it has no errors, it has no mistakes, that it is your spoken word to us. We don't have to... Uh, dance around and debate what the opinions of God are, we can go to your word and we can learn and we can discover and we can know you. But Father, these words on a page are dead words. They are lifeless. They are meaningless without the spirit breathing through them. So we ask that the Holy Spirit would speak through me this morning, would anoint the word, would anoint our ears to hear, um, that it wasn't, wouldn't just be a lecture, It wouldn't just be a Sunday school lesson, 
but this would be a sermon to the glory of God. Father, I ask that you would anoint us with power, that you would be here um, in that same power, power to save, power to sanctify, power to convict, power to convince. You are the almighty God and you do as you please. We worship you this day in Jesus name. Amen. All right. Welcome to Sacred City Church. We usually just go through books of the Bible, uh, but we finished Genesis two weeks ago. So now we are in our second week of a three-week study on the church. We're calling it Rechurch because most of us have been so indoctrinated and influenced by the culture that we live in uh, that we really need to go back to Scripture and rediscover what the church is supposed to look like. Last week, we discovered by studying the church in Corinth in the book of 1 Corinthians that the church is God's people saved by God's power for God's purposes, that God is himself the center. He's what holds it all together. The church isn't a building. It's a group of people. And those people we saw last week usually aren't the most attractive bunch, right? God's church is a beautiful mess filled with sinners who struggle daily to live in community with one another, but who through the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel learn to live in community with each other as a gospel-centered family. We saw that last week was uh, the majority of our church and the majority of our people problems are actually gospel problems. That we lose sight of our own sinfulness, and we begin to get frustrated by the sins of others. And what that, what ha- when that happens, we begin the inevitable drift backwards into moralism or religion. We, that's to say we constantly forget the gospel. And now, we don't, that doesn't mean we naturally or we forget it intellectually, but our hearts... Forget its warmth. It fails to be the controlling center of our lives. So God has now done a great service to us because we have this natural inclination that pulls us back into religion, pulls us back into moralism. And what is religion and moralism? But ways to control God. It's if I'm good, God will bless me. If I obey, then God does this for me. That's moralism. God likes people who do good things or who obey him. That's moralism. I can somehow bend God's arm behind his back through my moral achievement. So God has done this great service to us, the people who naturally forget the gospel. When he saves us, he doesn't just save us as individuals. He saves us into a family. He saves us into a body of people. We're in 1 Corinthians 12. If you have your Bibles, please open that. Or open your app, 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to start in verse 12. So chapter 12, verse 12. We're going to study this section of Scripture. That's pretty common. When you're there, say there. All right, Sacred City has their own app. You can find it there if you want, or you can download a Bible app. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 12. Ready, read. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Okay? So right away, we see that when we're saved, when God calls us, when God chooses us, when he brings us in, he doesn't just bring us in as individuals. He brings us in into a body. He brings us into a family. He saves us as individuals into a community. All right? And just so that we don't get like confused and think, well, this is like the universal church he's talking to. This book is not written. This is not first universal church that we're reading. Right? What's the name of this book we're reading? First Corinthians. He's writing to the church in Corinth. He's saying, you, church in Corinth, you are the body of Christ. You and your members, as you join together, you are the body of Jesus. Okay? So today, we're reading, we're studying what's, what Paul's writing to the church of Corinth, but he's also speaking it and writing it to us, the church of Sacred City in Davenport, Iowa. All right? You are the body 
of Christ. And what this, right away, what this is meant to show us is spiritual formation. Okay? Discipleship. Spiritual formation. How you're formed into, your, into a disciple of Christ. Spiritual formation happens inside the context of community. It primarily happens in the context of community. That we need other people. Now this is where you're going to start pushing back. You as a perfect product of your American environment. You might say, like Lindy said in her story today, I'm an individual. I don't need anybody. If I need someone that, that, that's kind of scary to me because they might not provide for me, they might not give me what I want, so I would rather put walls up around my heart and around my life and only depend on myself. I'm an individual. As long as I can actualize uh, what I could somehow find my meaning in here and actualize that and bring it out, I'll be safe because I won't depend on anyone. I can just need myself. See, that is the great promise of our Western society. Make yourself. Determine who you want to be. Determine what you want to do and go do it. Determine what will make you happy. And then go do it. If that, doesn't ju- if that doesn't work out, then just go back. Recreate yourself into something else. I-, I went through these stages in high school, right? One year I was a cowboy. I was. Had the Wranglers. Wore them. Rocked them, right? Next year I'm a skater. The clothes all change. You know, the boots get hide in the closet. Now I got these big, huge... I don't even know what you want to call those skating shoes, right? Then I'm an athlete, right? Well, that one didn't work. Let's try this one. That one didn't make me happy. Let's try this one, right? Individualism. If it doesn't work, just recreate yourself into something else. It's very individualistic and consequently, it's very shallow. Now, this is actually one of the great draws of large cities. We have more people in the world living in cities today than have ever li- lived in cities in the history of the world. Okay? The majority of people are living in cities today. And why? Because I, I, I worked at Whole Foods in Omaha. And I remember this, this girl, she was talking about how she wanted to move out of Omaha. And Omaha is about a million people. Uh, move out of Omaha because it, it was too small. And I'm from the Quad Cities and I'm in Omaha. I'm like, this is the big city. <laughs> right? Like, I'm moving on up. And I'm like, what, what, what do you mean it's too... Well, you, you, you see people that you know. I'm like, yeah, you see people that you know. Well, I don't like that. I want to move to like New York City where everybody's strangers. I'm like, why? You, nobody will know you. You want to have community. Yeah, but I can be whoever I want to be. I can recreate myself. If I have a bad weekend out, I can just change myself the next week and nobody knows. See... The promise of the city is you can be surrounded by people so you never quite feel alone, but in fact, nobody really knows you. I think that's the level at which many of us live our lives today. We have this sense of community because we have a lot of acquaintances, but we haven't experienced true community, community that forms us into a different type of person. Because we are afraid, as American individuals, we're afraid to be vulnerable. We're afraid to go deep with people. I was counseling this young woman a while back, and she was really struggling to have any depth in her life. She worked a lot. She was actually really successful in her job and her career. But when it came to relationships, she dated losers, which most of them she met at the bar on the weekends where she had a little bit of time. Right? You might have saw this tweet that I sent out this week because I pretty much told her that she had been fishing in an outhouse and uh, every, you know she shouldn't be surprised by what she caught. Right? But I asked her why... She loved going out so much. Why do you love going out? What is in it for you? What, what do you like about that? And in a, in a real moment of honesty, in a real moment, I think the Spirit gave her a truth into herself. 
She said this, I just love being out. I love getting dolled up and I love being seen. I love being seen. And I think that's one of our great problems. That's one of the problems of us as individuals. We all want to be seen. We, that means we want to be noticed. We want people, that's why we cover ourselves in tattoos and have one earring doesn't work. One earring doesn't just say rebellion enough. So I got to get 15 of them and then I'll connect it to my nipple or somewhere else. Right? Like, <laughs> right? It's like we want to be seen. We want to be noticed, but we don't want to be known. What's the difference? I was reading an article this week and it's like this. You got, you know, I have tattoos. I'm not saying anything, but, but you, you got all this visible stuff going on. You want to be seen, but then you don't want it to go. Oh, that guy's got daddy issues, right? You're wearing a shirt down to your be- belly button and you know, your tatas are hanging out, right? You want to be noticed, but you don't want him to go. Oh, that girl, she's got daddy issues. She needs some attention. You want to be seen, but you don't want to be known. You want to be noticed, but you don't want to be truly known. We want to be liked. Listen, we want to be seen. We want to be noticed. We want to be liked. We want to be retweeted. We want to be shared on Facebook, but we don't want to be really known. See, listen to what Tim Keller says. To be loved, but not known is superficial. To be loved, but not known is superficial. To be known and not loved is our great fear. That's the fear that we're afraid of. That somebody will really know us and then they won't love us. They'll push away from us because they don't like all the scars and all the ugly stuff that we bring with us. But this is what Keller says. But to be known, truly known, and truly loved, that transforms you. That transforms you. To be loved but not known is superficial. To be known and not loved is our great fear. But to be known and loved, that transforms you. So, no matter where you are at in your life right now, you might be in junior high or you might be in a retirement community, I know that you have an innate desire to know others and to be known by them. You have a desire to love and to be loved. And that is because, here it is, you were created Imago Dei. Imago Dei means in the image of God, you were created. You were created. And what, is it, what does it mean? This is the, where the part of the beauty of the Christian gospel and of the, the Bible comes into play. Our God, the God of the Bible, is in himself a trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This will cook your noodle. There's three, but there's one. There's one God, three persons. Okay? We're not going to go into that too much. Let me just say... Make it simple. You were created by a community for community. He made you the community God, the communal God, made you in his image to need and desire and want community. Deep, humble, loving, self-sacrificial community. And because of all this, we long for community. But what I also know, and if you know the story of scripture, you know as well. That community is broken, right? No matter what stage of life you're in, junior high or retirement, you have some innate fears that go along with that desire for community. What if they hurt me? What if they reject me? What if I don't find what I am looking for in that community? What if it begins to take too much of my time and encroach upon my sacred me time? See, this is the crazy place that most of us are living. We were created by a deep community for deep community. But when sin entered the human bloodstream, what was the first thing Adam and Eve did? They hid in the bushes. They're made by community, for community. When sin enters the world, they hide in the bushes. They hid because of this. That's what sin does. We have this natural now propensity to hide. Because of sin, we all struggle with deep, open, honest community. 
But let me tell you, this is another place where the gospel of Jesus Christ is a life changer. Only in the gospel can community be redeemed. I don't need to hide in the gospel. My sins are known by God and he has cleansed me from them through Jesus. That God now accepts me in spite of all my sins and failures. And he has given me free grace. And that grace so changes my heart that it frees me to be radically open and honest with others about my failures and my shortcomings. Because my ultimate acceptance has already been decided in Christ. I'm accepted and forgiven and loved by Jesus so that I can be radically open and honest with other people. See, we were made to live in an intimate and deep community, but the fall and our sin tempts us to hide. We hide because we're afraid of being exposed as sinners. What will people say when they find out about blank? They find out I did this in my past. They find out I struggle with this. They find out that I can't quite understand the Bible. I don't quite understand God or I struggle in prayer. I struggle in to love other people. What will people do if they watch my mouth hurt somebody? What are they going to do? How are they going to respond? We're afraid people really knowing us. We think that once they see me, once they know the real me, they won't like me anymore. Or maybe here's, maybe they'll lose respect for me. The pedestal that I like to be on, they'll knock me off that thing. I'll be down with all the common people. Listen. Christianity has a secret handshake to get in. You didn't know about that, right? There's some kind of thing that we do. Here's the secret hand. Yeah, see that one? Okay, here's the secret handshake. I've had a lot of coffee this morning. It's going good. I've had a lot of coffee. Here's the secret handshake. We can't save ourselves. We are dead, broken sinners, destitute on our own. That's the secret handshake to get in. That we admit our absolute and total dependence on Jesus. That we cannot save ourselves in any way. See, so many people think that the secret handshake to get into Christianity is actually be better. The way to join a church is to be better than other people. No, no, no. The way in is the realization that we're all sinners who need Jesus. The way in is down. Only Jesus gets us in. Now, I've used this illustration before, but let me use it again. It's been a long time. See, we're afraid of what people will do when they see what's in our hearts, when they see what we're really like. And what I, I equate that to be, uh, equate that to, think of two glasses, okay? Two glasses. One glass is filled with disgusting, hey, let's just go with the analogy, uh, toilet water, right? Disgusting uh, outhouse water. Okay, here we go. The other glass is filled with sparkling clean water. Okay, now what most people do is, no, hold on, let me say, this glass of water, if I bump this glass of water, what spills out? Dirty water. If I bump this glass of water, what spills out? Clean water. Whoa, deep analogy. Okay, here we go. What's inside, what's inside, once bumped, comes out, right? Now listen. This is what most moralistic people do. This is why moralistic people push back away from community. See, all community does, all that community does is bump you. Community bumps you. They frustrate you. They make you mad. Their sins rub. They bump you. And here's what happens. What's inside of you comes out. If clean water's in, clean water comes out. We see this in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ got bumped all the time. People interrupted him. People called him names. People turned their back on him. People did horrible things to him. What came out? Good things always. Clean water always. But now when we get bumped, (laughs) other stuff comes out, right? Listen, now what are you talking about, Justin? Moralistic people. People who live their life 
um, thinking that God accepts them if they're good. What they do is they spend a lot of time trying to avoid being bumped. Religious people spend a lot of energy trying to manage their circumstances. They know they have this feeling they are dirty. They know that they have sinned and they have issues that they don't like, but they believe they can hide those issues. They can manage them, just steer clear of that type of movie or avoid the sister-in-law or dodge that lady at the supermarket. Try not to get into any situation that someone might actually ask you a deep question like, how are you doing? Oh, wait, that's not deep. I'm doing great. No, really. How are you doing? No, 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 no. Really, really. Like, how's your soul? See, moralistic people need to avoid that type of reality. They need to avoid that type of depth because they're afraid they're going to get bumped and what's in them is going to come out. This is just a way for them to kind of be in control of their life. They think they're in control. If I steer clear from deep community, I can keep people from really seeing how broken I am, how dirty I am. I can control their perception of me. I can present to them the best version of me, an edited version, a clean version, a superficial version. But what I I want you to see this morning is that God gave us community to bump us. God gave us community to bump us. Deep friendships and deep community are meant to bump us, to spill out what's in our hearts. See, community reveals the current state of our souls. Your community reveals the current state of your soul. If you leave community going, what is wrong with those people? The current state of your soul is a moralistic, religious approach to God. Your heart is cold to the gospel. If you leave community saying, woe is me, I'm not good enough. Your approach to God is moralistic and religious and you're not relating to him in the gospel. Community bumps us. Community reveals what's in our heart. Jesus said as much in Luke 6.45 when he said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Mom, when you go off on your kid and you just berate them and you call them all names and then you try to take that back and go, I don't know what's wrong with me. I just, I haven't had enough sleep or I'm stressed out. No, 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 no. That's what's in your heart. You just got bumped and you couldn't keep it back anymore because you really got bumped and the dirty water of your heart came out and splashed on everybody. Right? What's in our heart comes out. Now listen, church lady, I know you've spent a decade or more of your life trying to put lids on your dirty cup. I know you've tried to surround yourself with only people that are like you, that don't get on your nerves. And you'll go to the lady's luncheon or you'll go to the lady's coffee shop, but you don't want to get any deep conversation where someone really asks you that soul-stirring question. Dudes, you're in the same boat, right? We'll watch the game, we'll go to the fights, we'll go to the football game. But let's not, hey, don't ask me how I'm loving my wife. Don't talk to me about that. Now listen, this is, uh, uh, rightfully, this is scary. This kind of depth and openness and honesty. What will people do when they see your sin? What will people do when your dirty water spills onto them? Will they cut you off? Will they tell others? Will they put it on Facebook? Will they pull away? Will they look down on you? Then we got to ask ourselves, how are we going to react when somebody else's dirty water spills onto us? Will you get bitter? Will you get religious? Sin! Right? Will you curse them in your heart? Will you change communities? Cut them off? Seek their downfall? Now listen. 
If you're tired of superficial community, if you're tired of putting the face on when you go to church, if you're tired of like you put your church clothes on, you put your church face on, if you're tired of that, believe the gospel. Listen, this is where the gospel goes deep and the gospel grabs us where nothing else in the universe can grab us. This is where the gospel can change us from the inside out if we believe it. This is where real heart change takes place. God gave us community to bump us, to spill that water everywhere. But he gave us the gospel in community to cleanse us. Gospel-centered community bumps and then it cleanses. It exposes the filthiness of our hearts. It reminds us, and then after it exposes us, this is what religion does, boom, it exposes, then it goes, look, I cannot believe you. You should be ashamed. You know better. I raised you better. That's what religion does. But what does the gospel do? Bump, expose, dirty water everywhere. Don't you know what Jesus has done for you? Do you remember what Christ has done? And through the power of the gospel, through God giving his own son, you are now the righteousness of Christ. You have been cleansed and washed and forgiven and sanctified and redeemed. And God is in a process right now of glorifying you. That You are united in Christ. That Jesus is standing at the right hand of God. He's controlling everything right as we speak. And one day you'll be there with him. See, gospel-centered community exposes, it bumps, and then it covers and cleanses. It dishevels us. It spills our dirty water so that others can see, but then it offers us grace. And that grace begins this deep cleansing process. Gospel-centered community offers us no less than a complete water transplant. Your dirty outhouse water for his sparkling crystal clear mountain lay down in it and just lap it up water you've never been in the mountains you don't know what I'm talking about let me tell you you're afraid of deep community because you're afraid to be out of control hop into missional community one night hopefully maybe they'll ask me a couple questions that I'll leave feeling a little bit better about myself but I won't be there week in, week out because then there's going to be follow-up and accountability and people are going to ask me deep questions all the time. We're afraid of being exposed and we're afraid of being bumped because we care more about the approval of people than we do about the approval of the almighty God of the universe. So what's, Justin, what's the big deal? Why can't I just be an individual? I got a thousand friends, 2,000 friends on Facebook. Listen, when you're not in deep community, you're not living the life that you were created for. See, God has an abundant life, abundant, above and beyond anything we could think or ask about. A life that's lived to the full. A life that's lived for his glory because he's the greatest thing that's ever... I don't even want to say thing. Greatest? I don't even know how to say this. Okay? He's the greatest. Let's just stop there. Right? And my life, minuscule little blip on existence. I got 80 years maybe to live on this life and I'll be forgotten. The greatest joy of my life is found in living for the greatest. That's where I find my greatest, is in his greatest. That's maximized joy. See, God can redeem what sin has corrupted. Yeah, community's broken. God can redeem it. Jesus' blood can cover it. He can fix it. There's a new level of depth there because of what Christ has done for us. So, or but... We want to experience this life. If we want to experience this life of depth, of intimacy, of community... We've got to come out of hiding. If we want his life, his abundant life and his clear water, we've got to submit to his ways. And his way is deep gospel centered community.
And we see this in 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to learn, just we're going to pull a few things out of this. We're going to exegete this text. What that means, we're going to go into this text and we're going to pull out some truth that's there. Okay? So look at chapter 12, verse 14. Okay? Right. First off, he just says this, for the body. Okay? So what is the church? The church is a body. He's talking about the body He's literally talking about a physical body, like fingers and hand and eyes and ears. But let me, t- let me pull this right out. So what is a church supposed to look like? What kind of community? What is that supposed to look like? Number one, a church is to be intimately connected. Intimately connected. A church is meant to be close, close relationships. Now, guys, can I just state the obvious? Coming on Sunday morning, is that intimate? No, it's not intimate. Right? We've got to be deeper. There's got to be more relationships. There's got to be more going on, more connection points than just the Sunday morning service. If we go back to this analogy of the body, can I ask you this? People always want to say, well, Justin, how much community? How close do I need to be with other Christians? And I say, how closely related is a thumb and a hand? Intimately, that's all I know. I don't know the answer to that. Really close? That's all I can say. I'm no theologian, but I'd say that's really close. (laughs) Intimately connected, right? That's how close of a relationship we're meant to have. I know that scares us a little bit. Secondly, verse 15. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, what, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Now, let me, let me say this. First off, we need to be intimately connected. Second, we are vitally connected. What does it mean to be vitally connected? What happens uh, to the thumb if you cut it off? Now, what happens to the body if you cut the thumb off? It's, I mean, it's without a thumb, right? It still lives, right? I want you to think about that. Being a part of a church, being part of a community is meant to be deep. It's meant to be intimately connected. But listen, it's meant to be vitally connected. If you cut off yourself from the body, you will spiritually die. The thumb, apart from the body, is dead. Right? Have a funeral, put it in the ground, it's dead. C.S. Lewis kind of has this brilliant analogy where he says, so many people are afraid of love. They're afraid of being hurt. They're afraid of being vulnerable. They're afraid of being open. They don't want their heart stepped on again. They don't want to be hurt, wounded again. So this is what they say. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take my heart and I'm going to hide it in a box. I'm going to put it back here in a box and I'll put walls around it and no one will be able to hurt me. And C.S. Lewis says, you know what? You are exactly right. When your heart is in that box, when it's walled off, it won't be broken. But let me tell you what will happen. It won't be broken. It will become unbreakable. You cut yourself off from the body, your soul immediately begins to shrivel. Your emotions, your your, your wisdom, your theology, everything starts to digress. Like the heart in C.S. Lewis analogy, yeah, you won't be hurt, you won't be broken, you'll become unbreakable. And what happens to an unbreakable heart? It can never feel the love. It can never have that deep community, can never feel passion, feel emotion, feel care for another person. Empathy is gone. We don't empathize with people anymore. Sympathy is gone. Our heart becomes rock hard. That's what happens when we cut ourselves off from the body. When we say, I'm going to be a thumb all by my lonesome. Third, so first, the church is intimately connected. We see that in the body metaphor. Second, the church is vitally connected. We hear that in the body metaphor. And third, the church is indispensably necessary. Indispensably necessary. What does that mean? It means it's absolutely necessary. 
Listen, 81% of Americans think that you can be a good Christian without belonging to a church. Let's just use our analogy. I can be a good thumb without belonging to a hand. Does this make sense? That statistic is absolutely foolish. You cannot physically impossible be a quote unquote good Christian without belonging intimately to a body of people. You can't do it. It's impossible. Right? I can't remember who said it now. It's an old dead guy. But you cannot have God as your father without the church as your mother. We're saved into a body. We're saved by community for community. The church is indispensable. There's nothing else like it on the earth. No replacement for it. Your podcast can't be your pastor. Doesn't work. Now, I know we have some pushback to that. Let me just offer this to you. If you want a religion that will serve you individual, individually, but it won't put any pressure on you to relate inside of a deep community, you've come to the wrong one. There are a lot of religions out there. There are a lot of so-called spiritualities that will offer you that. But Jesus isn't one of them. See, God himself is a community. And therefore, if you want him, you're going to get brought into this community. That's what he does. You want to create your own religion? You want to create your own religion that puts the individual at the center? Go do that to your own despair. Right? Go do that to your own destruction. Go do that to your own soul's shriveling. But in Christianity, a Trinitarian community God is in the middle. And as you come to him, as he draws you into this, he draws you into this deep community. Now, I'm going to pull two more big things out of this text. When it says the body, or when it says in verse 15, let me just say this. So if you're a Christian, if you've been brought into the body, I don't know what your place is. I don't know if you're a toe. I don't know if you're a foot. I don't know if you're an ear. I don't know if you're another part of the body that we're not going to talk about. I don't know what you are. Right? But here's what I do know about you. Is we all compare ourselves with other people. Right? And maybe the eye wants to be an ear. And the ear wants to be a mouth. Whatever. Alright? And many of us struggle to belong. We struggle to be a part of a community. And one of the things that we see here is it says, does the eye, look at verse 15. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong. What's it saying there? I don't have a preaching gift. I'm not a part of the body. I can't gospel like some kind of gospel-centered wizard in missional community, so I'm not a part of the body. I don't have a gift of hospitality, so I don't... I just go to Wednesday night. I just go to Mission Community Thursday night, whatever it is. I just go. I'm not a, I don't have those gifts. I'm not a part of the body. Paul is directly confronting that mentality. And what he's saying, and that's kind of a self-pity. I'm not that gifted. I don't have those gifts. I'm not that talented, so I don't belong. Paul is countering all self-pity. And he's saying, no, 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 no. If you are in Christ, you are a part of the body. You are vital. You are necessary. You are meant to be intimately connected. No matter who, what position you have, you are intimate. You are vital. You are necessary. So it counters self-pity. And then if you look down in verse 12, 21, Paul says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Whoa, 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 what's this doing? Oh, your gift is meaningless. You know what? Whatever you bring to the table, I don't like it. See, the first part of this text counters self-pity. The second half of this text counters self-righteousness. That guess what? Sorry, if maybe, you know, I don't even know what the, most, the best part of the body is right now. But let's say you're to the chest and you like to puff out, right? You need every other part of the body. No matter what it is, you need them. 
You can't be the body on your own. I love this. You can watch a 250-pound strapping NFL quarterback, right? He throws for however many yards a week. He's phenomenal. Dude gets an ingrown toenail. All week long, ESPN's talking about this toenail, right? A toenail, it, it, why? Because one little piece of the body impacts the, whole, the way the whole body functions, Right? The most frustrating person in your missional community, in your church, is just as vital as you are. No matter how much theology you have, no matter how much gospel-centered wisdom you have, no matter how many gifts of prophetic utterances you have, no matter who you are, the least needed person in your missional community is just as important as you are. Only in the church does this happen. You know when you're playing football and you're a part of a team, you got some close connections, but that one guy that runs along the sidelines like this, you don't need that guy. <laughs> right? You know you don't need that guy. He might as well put the skirt on and go out there to the track. Right? Be a cheerleader. Right? But in the body of Christ, it's a unique community where we're all needed. We need our weak parts just as much as we need our strong parts. This is the church. And I'm going to tell you, this is the type of community that the world needs to see and encounter. Steve Timmis, one of the authors of Porterbrook, says, People need to encounter the church as a network of relationships rather than a meeting you attend or a place you enter. People need to experience the church as a network of relationships rather than a meeting you attend or a place you enter. What kind of relationships? A network of relationships. What kind of relationships? Intimate, vital, and indispensable. What if you lived your life like you need your missional community? Like you need your fight club. Like you need that person across the table from you. Bumping you, spilling your dirty water, and reminding you of the gospel. Well, what does that look like, Justin? Let me just give you one little example. Just to mess with you a little bit. Verse 26. If one member... So... We're talking about intimate. We're talking about vital. We're talking about necessary. How do I know? What's that look like? Look at verse 26. If one member suffers, what's the next, what's it say? All suffer together. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Okay. Whoa. So, so you mean like if I smash my finger, I'll feel it too. Oh, okay. I'm getting this analogy. I'm getting this analogy now. Like, now nah, let me, let me go. Let's go to Galatians chapter five real quick. Put your finger there, flip, scroll, whatever you got to do. Galatians chapter five, verse 25. When you're there, say there. If we live by the Spirit, okay, that's what it means to be a Christian, is that we get saved by God, and now we live not according to our flesh, but we live by the Spirit, okay? So if we live by the Spirit, let us also what? Walk by the Spirit. Let us not become, again, this is countering, he's putting it in a three-word punchline of what we just talked about in 1 Corinthians 12. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, or envying one another. Those are the three big ones right up front. Like a ver- go on to six chapter one or chapter six verse one. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, though, lest you be tempted too. Look at verse two. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Let me let me let me put something on you right here. You need to hear this if you're, I mean, most of you probably grew up in America. You grew up with this Americanized Christianity. Let me just throw something out here. If you're not bearing other Christians' burdens, you're not a Christian. And let me just, so if we need some Greek exegesis on the term burden. It's not a burden. 
if it's not heavy, awkward, and uncomfortable. Right? If I give you my wallet, you're not like, oh, this is such a burden. Right? Burdens are heavy, are awkward, are, they're hurting the rest of my body to carry them. Right? That's what it means to carry a burden and carry somebody. When somebody comes to you and says, you know what, I can't pay my mortgage. Or, you know what, my wife got cancer or this happened in our life and now we can't afford it. And the group comes together and they don't say, well, you know what, if I give this little bit of money, then I'm not be able to get that video game. That's not a burden. A burden is, you know what, I don't know if I'm going to be able to eat at the end of the month, but guess what? We're a part of the body and I'm going to help meet this need for you. That's a burden. That's what it means to carry a, you know what, I'll volunteer an hour on Friday. That's not a burden. A burden exhausts me. A burden is more than I want to give. A burning ma- burden makes me sweat. Makes me worry a little bit. This is why Christian, one of the reasons Christianity spread so fast when it first started. There's early uh, secular historians and secular people that said, this is what they would say about the Christians. People, during, the black, during the plagues, they were throwing people out in the middle of the street and letting them die because they didn't know what was going on with them and they didn't want to be infected. They were throwing their own infants out in the street, closing the doors and not wanting to get sick. And what were the Christians doing? Going out in the street, picking up that little infected baby, taking it home. They were willing to die to bear others' burdens. That kind of love, that kind of intimacy, that kind of connection, that kind of vitality, that is infectious. People look at that and go, there's something wrong with that person. Or there's something different about that person. Bearing other people's burdens, it like, it's like a smelling salt for my soul. Bearing other people's burdens reminds me of my own personal deep needs. It reminds me that I walk by faith and not by sight. It reminds me that this world is not my ultimate home. It reminds me that my life is not my own. My money is not my own. My stuff is actually his stuff. And most importantly, it reminds me of Jesus who carried a burden that was not his to carry. Right? He bore our burdens. He carried our sorrows. When I carry other people's burdens, when we carry them together, it points us back and reminds us of Jesus, the great burden bearer. Jesus, he left the perfect community. What one theologian calls the eternal happy land of the Trinity to come and bring us into his happy land. Jesus lost the true and perfect community so that we could gain true, open, and honest community. If you're not experiencing this type of community in your life, you're missing out on an intimate, vital, and indispensable aspect of the work of Jesus. He redeemed us into a community. He's adopted us into a family. He's grafted us into a body. You might say, well, I love Jesus, but I'm fine on my own. How can you say that you love Jesus, but you don't need his body? The fact is, you come to experience more of Jesus when you are radically involved in his body. Listen, sacred city exists to make disciples who make disciples. But the only way to make disciples is in this type of community and on mission. Discipleship is a communal affair. The finger learns its job by working with the hand daily. Listen. I've never woken up to my finger doing solo exercises in the middle of the night. What are you doing? I'm practicing my job. I'm learning my, I'm figuring out my role. I'm maturing. Blah, blah, blah. All this stuff that Christians like to say, why they like to be alone and they don't want to be in deep community around. I'm, you know, growing. No, 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 no. True growth, 
True change, true discipleship, discipleship happens within the context of a deep gospel-centered community. The finger needs the hand. We pick stuff up together. That's how we grow. Right? Nobody goes to the gym, strap a barbell on there, and starts working their finger. They pick it up and it works it all. Listen. As I close, as I come to a close, eventually, sometime, soon, maybe. (laughs) I'm not denying your fears. I hope you hear me legitimizing your fears. Your fears are real. See, people might hurt you. People might take advantage of your hospitality. You might be surrounded with the type of people that you would not choose. Your community probably won't serve you the way you expect them to. We all like everybody else to read minds, right? Sometimes we step into a community with all these unmet expectations or all these expectations and they don't get met. We never verbalize them. Surprise, surprise. Husbands, learn something about, from that. Listen, your community will probably let you down at least once this week. <laughs> probably going to happen. But this is why we're a gospel-centered community. It's not on your leader. It's not on me. It's not on the people in your missional community. It's all on Jesus. When they let you down, when you get hurt, when relationships break down and bad stuff happens, look to Jesus. Has he ever let you down? See, Jesus is the one who knows what perfect, open, honest, and loving community looks like. And what did he do with that? What did Jesus do with this this perfect womb of community? This womb of the Trinity that he existed in where everything was perfect and happy. What did he do inside this perfect womb? He left it. He lost the perfect community. For what? What did he get? He was hurt by the ones who were closest to him. That's what he got. His own family called him crazy for saying he was God. One of his chosen 12, his inner 12, betrayed him for money. As Jesus is preaching, he's got one guy that he chose behind him with his hand in the purse taking money. And the people that he came to save, that he left this perfect womb of God for, the people that he came to save, crucified him like a murderer. Jesus lost the perfect community, came to earth, and experienced broken community so that he could redeem community. He lost it, he redeemed it, And now we can have it because he's been resurrected and ascended to the right hand of God. And now Jesus and the Father are beckoning us into this body. Jesus had it. Jesus lost it. And now Jesus purchased it for us. And God in Christ at the right hand of the Father, Jesus is beckoning us into his body. He's grafting us into the body. He's gifting us with this type of community. So let me, let me flip that question for you. Maybe you're right and you can't trust people. But can you trust him? The one who lost community to redeem it, to bring you into it? Can you trust him? The one who knows what it's like to be betrayed? Who knows what it's like to be labeled? Who knows what it's like to be hurt inside a community? Can you trust him? Because if you look at 1 Corinthians, verse 18 says this But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. First Corinthians 12 says that he is the one arranging the body as he sees fit. 
God himself has placed you. Lindy's story showed that perfectly. God himself is moving the members around. God himself has brought you into this community. And he knows what he's doing. Will you trust him? Will you take that nervous first step into a deep community? Where the reality of you being hurt and the reality of things going badly, all of that is there. But let me tell you a deeper reality, and that is Christ is our burden bearer. And Christ is our righteousness. And Christ is our justification. And Christ is our acceptance. And by going a step deeper into community, you're taking a step deeper into Christ. You will experience Christ at a deeper level inside a deep community than you will anywhere else. Haven't you watched enough podcasts? Haven't you read enough books? Please take the Joyce Meyer book and throw it in the trash and join a missional community. Turn off Joel Osteen. Delete his Twitter feed. Rubbish, garbage. Get involved in a deep gospel-centered community. That's what you need. That's what your heart is longing for. In there, in that context, you will find more of Christ. Why? Because you'll need more of Christ. And when you need it, he supplies it. Getting a little excited. At Sacred City, we live this out. This body metaphor, we live it out inside what we call missional communities. And and I can't wait when we do study 1 Corinthians because we're going to get to the gifts and we're going to spend a lot of time on studying spiritual gifts that every single person in this room has been given a spiritual gift. And many, many of you have taken a class on it and you've learned about it. But guess what? This is not the context for most spiritual gifts. Right? Sunday morning is not the context for the majority of spiritual gifts. So then you walk out of here, well, I can't preach. And I know I haven't been given the gift of bulletin handing out her. So I don't know what I'm going to do. Right? But in missional community, everybody's gift is brought to the surface. Some people have just the gift of listening. Some people have the gift of, uh, of coming alongside someone. Someone has the gift of prayer, the gift of faith. Right? Someone has the gift of a word of knowledge. All of that happens. Someone has the gift of hospitality and we love you and you make great muffins. Come to, right? We all have gifts and we function well inside the body. And that looks, mo- that looks like a missional community most of the time. So, if, you're, if you've been out on the outside and you've been checking us out, take a step. It's a scary step. Join a missional community. You can find out more information at the back of the box office. You can talk to anybody else that's involved in one here, which is the majority of people. We have probably have, we actually have more people involved in missional communities that are actually here this morning. God's been really gracious to us in that. You need it. It's a gift to us. Nothing will change your heart. Nothing will change your heart like deep gospel-centered missional community. It's the change that you need. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for this gospel, this good news that Jesus was willing to leave a perfect, self-satisfying community to come experience the brokenness of this world, to come be betrayed and be hurt, be stolen from, be wounded, and then ultimately crucified most heinous of all deaths, naked on a cross, spit at, cursed, mocked, pointed at. If you're God, save yourself. Your followers scatter like dust in the wind. The father turns his back on you as he crushes the son, as he crushes you. You're lost. Community shattered. Three days later, spirit breathes life. The father resurrects. The son gets up. Community is back together again. And you do the unthinkable. 
you invite us into this community? What would my life be like if I believed that? I could let the guard down. I could let my dirty water spill on others. I could let it, my sin be seen. It's things that I'm ashamed of. I'm afraid that people won't, won't accept me anymore. I can let those come out in the open. Because your gospel frees me. Your righteousness covers me. Father, I ask that even now you're communicating that to your people. But as we come to the Lord's table this morning and we uh, break the bread that represents the body of Christ and we drink the wine and the grape juice that represents the blood of Christ, you would communicate afresh and anew the gospel to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.